Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. I have some money in my wallet. I have a $1 bill. Is that a lot of money? Yeah, no. eh, not really. And then I have a $100 bill. Is that a lot of money? Yeah. That's a lot of money, right? If you compare a $100 bill to a $1 bill, the $100 bill seems big. If you compare a $100 bill to a penny, then the $100 bill seems even bigger. But that's just because we're comparing it to something smaller. See, when I was your age, I used to think $100 was a lot of money too. But then one day, I sat down at a big wooden table in a building called a title company. And they put a big pile of paper in front of me all these papers that I was supposed to sign because I was about to buy a house. And when I saw the price of that house, do you think $100 seemed very big? No. $100 seemed very small because it was going to take a lot of $100 bills for me to pay for that house. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And when you're talking about a house that's hundreds of thousands of dollars... Compared to $100, it makes the $100 seem small. You see, the point is, how big or small something seems to us is always based on what we're comparing it to. You might have one thing happen in this life to you that seems really big, really big deal, something you've been waiting for for a long, long time. Could be something really good. You could also have something happen to you here that's really, really bad, that's really hard. People suffer in this life all the time. People lose loved ones. People get sick. People lose their jobs. All sorts of horrible things happen. And when bad things happen, it can seem really bad. And, and it is. But again, it depends on what we're comparing it to. Today, we're going to learn to compare everything that happens in this life, the great stuff and the bad stuff. We're going to learn to compare everything that happens in this life to what God has promised us in heaven. And what we're going to see is that what God has promised us in heaven is so big, it makes everything in this life look really, really small. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that today. Heavenly Father, you sent your son Jesus to be our savior from sin and, and death. Help us to remember why. Help us to remember that, that he has won heaven for us, that we get to live with you forever in a place where we will never be afraid again, where we will never get sick again, where there will never be sorrow or crying or tears, where there will never be death. Help us to begin to understand how big this promised inheritance is. Help us to understand how valuable it is. Help us to see how small things are here compared to what you have won for us in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we're going to focus our attention on this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen redeemer. Amen. So our theme for today is life as an heir. So we're trying to contemplate what this looks like to be an heir of an inheritance. When I think of, of what it's like to be an heir, I'm, I'm thinking of waiting. Because if you are an heir, you're not the owner yet. That's down the line. You're, you're waiting for that moment when the inheritance will become your possession, when you will own what you are an heir of. And usually there's a, a good deal of waiting involved. In our case with that pool that you may have noticed, not so much. We, we found out in about three days that we were heirs to a pool. And we said, yeah, sure, we'll we'll take it. But that was a a really short amount of time. My kids have been asking for pools for years, and I've been saying, no, we're not getting a pool. No, we're not getting a pool. No, we're not getting a pool. And it was relatively easy for me because I didn't want to get a pool. (laughs) If I had learned five years ago that we were going to be heirs of a pool in five years, it would have been that much easier to say, No, we're not getting a pool. We'll have one in five years. But the inheritance tends to have an impact on the decisions that you make. And the value of the inheritance will impact how great the impact on your life. It could be the the quality of what you're inheriting or the quantity of what you're inheriting, but the value itself, the bigger it is, the bigger of an impact it'll have on your decision-making and your life in general, the smaller it is, the smaller the impact that it will have. In verse 17 of our text, our eyes are open to this reality that we are heirs of God. That's what it literally says. We are heirs of God, and in this particular case, the word of is referring to source. We are heirs of what God is the source of. We are heirs of what God has to offer. And if you just stop for a minute and try to wrap your mind around that, that alone is a mind-blowing thing. I looked it up this morning. The cumulative value of the world's wealth, all the money that exists, is estimated to be around $418 trillion. Now, how they figure that out, I have no idea. But $418 trillion is the assumed value of the entire world. 
Well, God owns all of that and everything else in the whole universe. God owns everything. And he has everything. And he offers all of it to us. He says we are heirs of him and co-heirs with Christ. Now just think about that for a minute. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten from the Father, who took on flesh, whose birth we celebrate every Christmas, who was his entire life the perfect Son, who never failed like we did. We might have lost our right to the inheritance with our behavior. Jesus never did that. He, he was the perfect son every moment of his life, actively obeying his father. Then he takes our guilt upon himself, our sin upon himself. He suffers the punishment that we deserve. He gets kicked out of the family, if you will, for our sins. He suffers his father's wrath. He suffers hell for us. He dies, the death we deserve. And then he rises from the dead to show us that the father has welcomed him back into the family, that the sins that caused his suffering and death have been removed forever. And the result? We are co-heirs with the son of God. Think about that. Jesus' death and resurrection has made it so that there's not one son of God, but many sons and daughters of God. And we are all Jesus' brothers and sisters, co-heirs of God and everything that he has to offer. This is what is waiting for us. And how can you be certain? Well, it's because you are a child. In the verses leading up to our text, the Apostle Paul has just made this very strong case. You are God's child. This is what Jesus means. The whole point of Jesus living and dying and rising was so that we could be forgiven and called sons and daughters of the King. And that is what you are. This, if we are children, it's not, well, like, if we are, then, no, it's since we are God's children, then we are heirs. It's a fact. How do you know that you are actually heirs of God? It's because you actually are children of God. And the fact that you are a child of God means you definitely are an heir. And Satan hates that. He hates that truth. And so guess what he attacks? He attacks your standing as a child. He tries to convince you that you're not actually God's child. And his most common tactic is suffering. He points to it. And he points to how big it is. And he asks you questions like, would a loving father actually treat his real child this way? Would a loving father actually allow his dear son, his dear daughter, to suffer like this? You must not actually be his son, his daughter. Because if you were, he certainly would not treat you this way. Or he might try a slightly different tactic and say, if your father is the kind of father who allows you to suffer this way, then he's the kind of father who's worth leaving. 
You should just walk away. You should leave his house. The suffering is too big. Whatever he has to offer you is not worth it. Ah. You see what's just happened? Satan is banking on the fact that you will compare your suffering to the wrong thing. He is banking on the fact that you are going to compare the awful suffering in your life to earthly things. Because he knows that if you compare your suffering in this life to the inheritance that is yours as God's child, it will seem small. And so let's play Satan's little game. Let's compare our suffering. It is possible for humans to suffer in amazing ways. One of the great privileges of a pastor is that I get to be with people at the highs of life, the birth of a child, the baptism of a child, a a wedding. Yesterday I was at a wedding. But I also get to be with people at the lowest points. And that's just as big of a privilege as it is to be with them at the highest points. And I've seen some pretty crazy things. You have too. You have too. But people suffer in large ways. Cancer, Parkinson's, related diseases, all sorts of diseases. They attack seemingly at random. And they take loved ones from us out of nowhere. I had a friend, a really good classmate, sat next to him in school every year during seminary. We were pastors for 15 months, found out he had cancer, he was dead two months later. People suffer in amazing ways. We could probably tell stories of some of the greatest tragedies we've, we've heard of. And let's not belittle the size of suffering in this life. It can be immense. But what if we use the immense size of suffering here to help us begin to grasp how immense the inheritance is? Because the Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, as big as suffering here may seem, and it is big, let's not belittle it, as big as suffering can be, the glory that is awaiting us in heaven is so much bigger that it makes the worst suffering here seem so inconsequential, it's not even worth comparing the two. How many zeros do we need to add to a trillion to make this make sense. The combined value of the world's wealth is in the trillions. It's not even halfway to whatever comes after a trillion. (laughs) Let's add, what, 300 more zeros to the end of a trillion? And then let's compare a $100 bill to that. How big of a number do we need to go to begin to understand the contrast between the worst things we experience here, which always come to an end, and an eternity, never-ending existence, without pain or trouble or sorrow or death, all the things that ruin the best moments here 
and cause the hardest moments here. Gone. In the presence of the almighty creator God, who is infinitely loving and infinitely wise to be with him for all eternity. Now compare that to the worst thing here. And now you're beginning to understand what it means to be an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. Everything here is in bondage, our text says. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we are living in that groaning. It continues. This creation longs to be freed from the bondage to decay, to death, to suffering. And the inheritance that is ours in Christ means we will be liberated. Jesus' death and resurrection means we will be free. And his resurrection is the proof. His resurrection is the key. It is the key to making this reality. Our death is not the end. Jesus will use his very real power over death to raise us and all the dead so that we can truly live with him in bodies that are no longer mortal but immortal, impervious to disease and death. Life as an heir of God has a huge impact on our life here. My prayer for you is that God would continue daily to open your eyes to the meaning of the gospel. Yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you are at peace with God. Yes, you are children of God. But you are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Heirs of heaven. Amen.